This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by New York State Assembly member Harvey Epstein. Thanks for coming on and congrats on winning election to a full term. Thank you. Thank you for including me. Of course. So you were first elected to the seat in a special election in April. Now you're going to be serving out a full term. What has your experience been in office so far and what's coming up in this legislative session? Uh, So, you know, it's in the first term, it's really just getting adjusted to understanding how the politics and the process works inside the assembly. So that's been the last eight months, getting some bills introduced, co-sponsoring other legislation, and just understanding kind of where all the power plays are and trying to demystify the entire system to people who live in my district. And, you know, upcoming this year, you know, this full, this full term, I think I'm just going to build on that. Like I've had some small victories, like getting rid of single-use plastic, Containers in the member lounge and using compostable material, getting some pieces of legislation passed on the one on housing, one on healthcare, building on the opportunity we have in New York with the Democratic Assembly and the Senate to push on larger issues that affect uh, state and country. This legislative session is really interesting because New York Democrats finally have a real trifecta. There was previously a numerical majority in the state Senate, but due to a group of breakaway Democrats who caucused with the Republicans, a lot of important progressive priorities weren't able to advance through that. What is the real meaning of a Democratic trifecta in New York for progressive priorities? This is a moment in time that we haven't seen in New York in its history. We did have a little blip in 2008 where there was a short-term Democratic majority that was lost because of the breakaway coalition is not happening this year. The, the Senate is a strong Democratic Senate with a 16 seat majority. So we're looking at real opportunities in New York State to talk about things that we've been talking about for decades. We need to enshrine our laws, our reproductive health act, and so that we don't have a right to choose. We are talking about uh, issues around child safety and child victims act. There People have been evicted of sex, child sexual abuse, have the opportunity to seek regress now that they have been able to do that right now and then they are. Strengthening rent laws and rent protections for over a million apartments that are not regulated. Figuring out how we can expand those protections to other tenants across the state. The issues about the MTA and public transportation, it's a funding issue where we've underfunded public transportation and public housing for decades. And we need to start reversing course there and put real financial interest into public housing and public transportation. And it might also deal with congestion pricing, where you know, we have a city like New York, where there's just too many cars here, and so many higher vehicles and people driving into the city. We need to revision what the city looks like and how we can use our congestion pricing proposals as a way to discourage people from driving into the poor parts of Manhattan. 
those are just a handful of things. The bills uh, that I'm talking about around immigration rights and affordable housing and right to counsel. And there's it's a, probably 12,000 bills that will be introduced in the Assembly and the Senate this year, and we just dig at it one bill at a time, one issue at a time, and hopefully that we get to a place this year where we can do some really important good for millions of New Yorkers. And what are your personal top priorities? What are the issues that matter to you and the people of your district? Yeah, so I think there's five or six things that are critical. One, uh, I mentioned already about public transportation, as you probably have heard. The MTA has got the lowest on-time rate of any public transportation system in the world. We have, you know, we have between 58 and 68% on-time rates, where cities like Paris have 99% on-time rates. And that's really about long-term disinvestment. So we need to put real capital dollars into fixing the MTA. Affordable housing is a critical piece of what I've been working on for the last 20 years and something that we will need to deal with in, in the state. So one, it'll be strengthening the rent laws. Two, it'll be fun, fully funding public housing. We are at a crossroads in public housing where we've had so much disinvestment. There are people talking about privatization of public housing. And we have to decide which way we're going to do. Are we going to really keep public housing public and invest in our public housing? Or we're going down a much more dangerous path in my opinion. Education. Uh, Ten years ago, there was a lawsuit that was uh, litigated all the way up to the highest court in New York on campaign for fiscal equity. And the court said that New York State underfunded New York City schools. And to our take now, it's about $4.3 billion of underfunding. How, how can we get the funding necessary to ensure that our children in public schools get enough resources so they can actually learn. Two other public school issues are mayoral control. Uh, about now 14 years ago, the issue of mayoral control came up where we used to have school boards in neighborhoods all over the city, and we moved to a much more centralized process. There are a lot of issues that I've seen in the mayoral control centralized process that taken away community and, uh, input and control over things that affect their neighborhood. And so trying to find a balance of mayoral control and community participation. Other issues on education are specialized high schools or SHSAT schools. And Albany really dictates how three of those eight specialized schools get to determine who gets in. We want to figure out if we can just give that power back to the city or do we, does Albany maintain the power over how people get into school. Right now, there's a racial bias. In one of the eight schools that I was in high school, while they had a 1,000 students who got admitted, only 10 of those students this year were black. And in a public school system that's 72% black and Latino, we know that there are more than just 10 high-achieving African-American students who could get into Stuyvesant and if we created a fairer system. Uh, two more issues uh, I'll just spend time on. Criminal justice reform, you know, recreational legalization of marijuana, reforming the bail system. We have a broken bail system that really incarcerates low-income black and brown New Yorkers, gets people incarcerated for extended periods of time so they can't go back to work and they can't fulfill their lives because they can't afford bail. 
we eliminate cash bail, we'll create a system that will be much more equitable and take power away from district attorneys to force people into plea bargains, even if they haven't committed a crime. And finally, uh, we need to talk about our voting system. We don't have an early voting system in New York, so no same-day voter registration, no early voting we could do like other states around the country, no state matching fund program, no new party registration takes you know, 13 months of registering a new party. We could change these things to make it easier and take down the barriers for voting. Absentee ballot, you need to have cause to vote absentee. I don't know why you need cause. So many barriers in front of people to to vote, to register to vote. We need to fix that. So those are a, a sampling of the major issues that are pending before us in Albany this year. So I think a question that's that a lot of people kind of raise when they hear about these things is, why hasn't New York done this already? Isn't it one of the most progressive states in the country? Why has New York not done this already? And what does that mean for the potential challenges you're going to run into this year? Well, you know, in, we always think that New York, you know, lots of people think New York is a progressive place, but we're not. Our state uh, government has been controlled by a faction of Republicans who aren't really interested in, in progressive change. Unlike states like California, where you have had a Democratic legislature for many years, this is the first year where Albany has a Democratic Assembly and the Senate. The things were always dying in Albany because the Republicans in control of the Senate didn't want to move forward on a whole host of issues we just discussed. So now with the Democrats in power in the Senate and the Assembly and with the Governor's Mansion, we have a real opportunity to move forward on some of the changes we discussed. So this could be a hallmark moment for New York State politics. be a real opportunity for us to see how progressive we are. Are we going to talk about environmental justice issues? Are we going to talk about climate change? How are we going to deal with school debt? How are we going to deal with the cascading issues that face people, everyday New Yorkers, to ensure that people have an affordable place to live? Can we pass a single-payer health care system? Issue after issue are critical things that will face before New Yorkers, and we will see over the next six months through the legislative session how progressive we really are. So you mentioned single-payer health care. Health care was probably the biggest issue of the past election. You do support single-payer health care, but Governor Cuomo said that it's not possible on a state level. Do you believe that it is possible on a state level? And if so, why? So, first of all, not only do I believe it, but uh, independent budget office, independent entities, I've reviewed the, the New York Health Act and determined that not only is it viable and feasible, but over the long term it will save New York State millions of dollars. So, I can appreciate the governor feeling that there's an issue with it. I just fundamentally disagree. I think the sponsor of the bill, my co-sponsor of the bill, Assemblymember Godfrey, has worked tirelessly on this issue, has created a a legislative plan that will work in New York. I mean, the issue that people have is it really costs money, but yeah, it costs more money now, and people don't get adequate health care. We will save money over the long term, and that's the message we need to communicate. Maybe the governor doesn't read the same reports I do, or is hearing from different people. Literally, long term, this will save 
New York money while providing better health care for all New Yorkers. You mentioned immigration. How exactly can states protect immigrants from the federal government's attacks? That's a very good question about immigration. There are a couple pieces of legislation I either introduced myself or co-sponsored. One is ensuring that our court system is a safe place. And so something with Solange's bill, which I'm a co-sponsor of, says that in New York State court system, we will not allow ICE in. Right now, if you go into family court or housing court or criminal court or case, either as a witness or a party, you can get picked up by ICE. So the message we're saying to undocumented New Yorkers are, the courts aren't a safe place for you. We need to flip that message. We need to say that the courts are open and safe for all New Yorkers, no matter what your immigration status is. So that's a really strong example. I also have my prime sponsor bill called SCAR, which is around separation of children and uncovered minors. The federal government is using New York State and New York State resources to send and the horrible policy over the summer between the parents around the separation of children and the ongoing struggles in uncompleted minors. You know, we don't know. Hundreds of thousands of New York people in New York are faced with real, uh, real needs because they're uncompleted minors or have been separated from their family by the federal government. We need the federal government to provide us information. We need the agencies to provide us information so we can actively support the families that are here with healthcare needs, language needs, mental health services. There's so many needs that these unaccompanied children and separated children have, but unless we know, that we know they're in our jurisdiction, we can't act to help them. And even when they're reunified with their family, they have ongoing trauma. They've been scarred by, by being separated. They will have ongoing needs for decades to come, and the state should step in when the federal government gives up its authority to help those families long term. Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government. And you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day. I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. And you mentioned criminal justice. What is your criminal justice platform? And what is the state of incarceration in New York State? So it's a good question about where we are on criminal justice issues. And there, you know, this, we are talking about how the criminal justice system is a new Jim Crow. And we have issues like reforming bail, as I mentioned before. And we're getting rid of solitary confinement. Not just legalizing recreational marijuana, but then 
dealing with the underlying racial injustice that's happened for decades, a criminalization of black and Latino communities. So it's not just changing the law, but paying the community back for the injustice that we provided for decades. So we do legalize recreational marijuana. Where do those tax revenues go? Who gets to have the permits? Who gets to be distributor and seller? So we have four years ago, we legalized medical marijuana in New York. I mean, at first we had five companies and then we increased to 10. But because of the limitations New York State put on from the companies that needed to go from seed to sale, you had only large private equity companies who could really invest in the medical marijuana system. So we had a criminal justice system which was incarcerating black and Latino youth. And then we had a legalization of medical marijuana which is providing revenue and resources to private equity and white-owned companies. So we need to ensure that we don't just deal with the short-term legalization but the underlying issue of injustice and racial bias in our criminal system and trying to rectify it. What is your approach to justice? Do you believe that incarceration and prison do play a role in a just system? Good question about whether there's any purpose for incarceration. I mean, I do think the current prison industrial complex is an unjust system. Do I think that there might be narrow circumstances, issues of violence that people need to be taken out of society? Yes. Do they need to be put into the criminal system and the justice system as it stands now? Absolutely not. So I think there's a balance of having a system that works to rehabilitate people and talks about education opportunity, job training, and a safe environment for people who are incarcerated, but the bigger point is reducing the number of people who are incarcerated, which is really talking about decriminalizing non-violent crime. Another example would be sex work. You know, we have a, we get people who, whether I agree with people want to or not, whether it's voluntary or not, there's issues that, you know, obviously, uh, people who are trafficked into the sex industry. But there are, we need to talk about decriminalization and have a process that people who want to engage in the, in sex work have a path to be able to do it and not to continue to use it as a tool to criminalize people. At the same time, providing education and opportunities that people have alternative employment opportunities. I think... I think lots of people involved in the sex work industry hopefully don't want that job, but because it is financially beneficial, some people may make that choice. And I don't want to be the, we're not the moral police. We are here to have, there's a victimless crime. We want to make sure uh, people aren't being incarcerated for victimless crimes. The people are victims of trafficking, are victims of abuse. It's a very different situation. Many view sex work as a labor issue. What is your perspective on that? Well, it is. I agree that it's an economic decision that's connected to labor. 
the people making economic choices about how they sell their body, and that is their labor or choice. It's very different, though, in a, in a trafficking or violence or abusive situation. So I think it's sometimes labor and sometimes not. And it's hard to distinguish that about free will and choice, but I do think it's an important distinction to make. And what is the state of labor rights in your state? Yeah, so New York is an um, at-will employee state, and so it's a huge issue that provides a lot of incentives to employers to have control over the terms and conditions of employment. Yeah, so we have a strong unionized state, probably one of the most unionized states in the country, but because of the Janus decision from the Supreme Court last year, we really weakened the power of unions. So we're looking to try and strengthen uh, people's rights to organize, like we did with the Domestic Workers' Bill of Rights, and hopefully get to pass the Farm Workers' Bill of Rights, uh, Farm Workers to Organize, lives through the International Labor Relations Act, and then really strengthen the, the rights of workers in this environment. And this not employees, it's this whole swath of independent contractors that become a much more unregulated market that we see large companies like Amazon using more and more claimed independent contractors and really trying to not provide benefits because they think they're not employees. Going back to criminal justice, kind of thinking about what happens before incarceration, there is police reform, some support police abolition. Where do you stand on this? What exactly is the role, if any, of the police? Yeah, it's a really good point about where we see police reform and whether the police are there to protect people occupying force. And it plays out really differently in, in, in the, along race and class lines. And so we have, uh, issues of microaggressions and insensitivities to racial justice issues. And we've seen policing across the country really criminalize black and brown communities. So we have a huge problem with people who are in the police and the amount of education that they have to understand the communities that they're policing in. We are to move forward in a much more community policing model, which allows the people in the neighborhood to know who the police are and the police to know who the neighborhood residents are. And so with the reduction in stop and frisk, we've seen New York not only reduce crime, but reduce incidences of police abuse. I think the police have a role, like I think the military have a role, but the, the, with the outsource role they play, like the outsource role ISIS played in our country, has gotten to an extreme. We need to reduce their role and go back to a community policing model, the neighborhoods understand each other. Community watches, neighborhood watches are a critical part of that model. And what can our listeners do to get involved in New York State politics? It's a really good question about what New Yorkers can do. This is a real moment in time for New Yorkers to get involved. I would encourage anyone who's listening to figure out the issue they care the most about and dig in deep. This is the time where you need to dig in deep. It isn't just like sending an email to your elected saying, do this thing and walking away. You need to dig in because the details are going to matter this year. Because whatever we pass will have an impact for decades to come whether it's on reproductive health or criminal justice reform, whatever the issue that they're passionate about, I encourage them not just to reach out to people like me, but to get involved in the issue. 
come to a lobby day, understand the legislation. First, to get the legislation changed in the way they think is beneficial. Really, really dig in deep. Because that's the only way we're going to know how to do it right. Because we're going to probably legalize recreational marijuana. If we do it the wrong way, we're going to further punish black and Latino communities for decades. And lastly, how can folks get in touch with you and where can they find you online? Yeah, so that's a great question. They, uh, they can find me on Facebook or Twitter. It's RV for New York. If they want to reach out to me, they can email me. My email is on the assembly website, but it's just Epstein H at nyassembly.gov. I'm really responsive on email, on Facebook and Twitter. I'm happy to meet with people who live in my neighborhood and want to talk about issues that impact them or issues that they just want to get involved in. And really just come to Albany, come to my district, come to my neighborhood, and let's figure out how to do this together. We want to build the leaders of the future. We want to build youth councils, which is one of the process of doing. We want to do neighborhood engagement. The people who are affected by the policy we're doing don't even know what's happening, so we want them involved. So getting involved is critical to making a difference in the lives of all New Yorkers. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Well, thank you so much for your time for, for reaching out to me. Of course. And we hope to get you on again in the future to hear about all the progress you've made. That sounds great. I'd love to do that. Perfect. And lastly, to our listeners, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, follow Millennial Politics on social media, and tune into the Progressive Radio Network every week at 8 p.m. Eastern to hear our newest episode. Thanks for listening.